This is Africa Digest. Hello, welcome to Africa Digest on Channel Africa, where we give you news from an African perspective, broadcasting to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. It is 1700 hours Central African time. We are broadcasting to you on frequency 7260 kHz on the 31-meter band. If you are in Southern Africa, you can also stream us on channelafrica.co.za. My name is Spumelele Zondi and I'm with Amanda Machaga, Tracy Pumgaard and Neto Chemane. Your top stories. UN chief warns against violence over DRC presidential results. South Africa's Electoral Commission says it is ready to host the 2019 elections. Court hearing of former Mozambican finance minister postponed. In economic news, a foot and mouth disease outbreak halts South Africa's meat exports. And in sports, suffer outraged by CAF's decision. But first, the news with Amanda Machaka. Thank you, Spumelele. Good evening. DRC's powerful Catholic Church says the provisional result of December's presidential election, naming opposition candidate Felix Chisekedi as winner, does not reflect the data its observers collected from polling stations. Last week, the Electoral Commission, Senko, which deployed more than 40,000 observers to monitor the elections, said it knew who had won the vote but did not reveal who it was, instead urging the commission to publish the results in keeping with truth and justice. France's top diplomat and analysts have said the church's count indicated Chisegedi's opposition rival, Martin Fayulu, who came a close second, had actually won. The Catholic Church has long been pressing for the departure of President Joseph Kabila, who has ruled the country with an iron fist since 2001 and who has stayed in power as caretaker leader, even though his second and final elected term ended in December 2016. Meanwhile, the Democratic Republic of Congo's ruling coalition says it has taken note of uh, Felix Chisekedi's provisional victory in the presidential elections, but uh, reserved the right to legally challenge his candidate score. Election chief Cornel Nanga declared Chisekedi the winner with 38.57% of the vote, just ahead of rival opposition candidate Martin Fayulu, who took 34.8%. France's top diplomat, meanwhile, says Chisekedi declared victory was not consistent with the results. The death toll incidents, anti-government protests that have rocked the country has now risen to 22. Authorities say three demonstrators died hours after thousands cheered for President Omar al-Bashir at a rival rally in the capital Khartoum. Wednesday's competing rallies in the capital followed weeks of angry street protests over a government decision to triple the price of bread at a time when the country faces an acute shortage of foreign currency and soaring inflation. Hundreds of protesters who have repeatedly called on al-Bashir to step down marched in the capital's twin city of Omdurman, chanting freedom, peace, justice and revolution is the people's choice. But they were quickly confronted with tear gas fired by riot Police. Videos posted on social media that could not be independently verified showed some demonstrators pelting police officers with rocks. Senior United Nations officials have been in the Central African Republic to revive international efforts for lasting peace in the country conclude their visit later in the day. The high-level delegation has been in the country since Tuesday to help facilitate mediation talks between the government and armed groups through dialogue under the auspices of the African Union Initiative. The AU mediation launched in July 2017 has been criticized by some observers for its slow pace and a lack of results. Spokesperson of the United Nations Peacekeeping Mission in the CAR, Vladimir Montero, says the UN delegation's visit is a step in the right direction of long-lasting stability in the country marred in a deadly conflict for the past six years. It's not only UN officials and particularly the Under Secretary General for uh, uh, Peace Operations 
Mr. Lacroix, but officials from the African Union, the Ambassador for Peace and Security, Smail Shergi, also representatives from uh, the um, Central Africa community, and uh, some ministers from uh, neighboring countries, Chad, uh, Sudan, uh, Angola, Guinea Equatorial, who are currently in, uh, in Central African Republic, to help boost the African uh, Initiative for Peace and Security in, in, in the country. And finally, the South African Revenue Service, SARS, has seized a consignment of rhino horns worth over $1.5 million at the Oratambo International Airport. The 36 pieces of rhino horn were found after a police dog positively identified a consignment disguised as decoration items in a warehouse. SARS officials say the horns, which weighed 116 kilograms and destined for Dubai, were hidden underneath cut laminated wooden sheets in four of the boxes which were filled with doormats and decorative items. Spokesperson Sitelo Mkosi declined to comment on whether anyone has been arrested. We were unable to kind of confirm any of those details because investigations are at a sensitive stage and we are wanting to crack down on these individuals because we had become aware that there has suddenly become a demand of these horns in the Far East and that we intercepted them and handed them over to the South African police for further investigation so as to ensure that there is successful prosecution. For Channel Africa News, I'm Amanda Machak. Thanks, Amanda. It's 1707 Central African Time, right here on Africa Digest on Channel Africa as we continue to give you news from an African perspective. UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres has urged all stakeholders in the Democratic Republic of Congo to avoid violence after the opposition chief was declared a winner of the presidential vote in an announcement contested by his rival. Guterres has called on all stakeholders to refrain from violence and to channel any eventual electoral disputes through the established institutional mechanisms in line with the country's constitution and relevant electoral laws. The Electoral Commission announced earlier today that opposition leader Felix Chisekedi had won the long-delayed presidential election with almost 39% of the vote. More from Claude Ibalanki, the spokesperson for DRC's president-elect, Felix Chisekedi. Mr. Chisekedi is uh, very serene as usual. He's very happy. He told the team, he told us, uh, we've won the election, uh, but the real work begins now. So he's looking ahead, he's looking forward to the massive challenge that lies ahead of us to reconcile the Congo and to rebuild it. Now, opposition candidate Martin Fayulu has rejected the outcome and he has appealed to observers to publish what he called the real results. What do you say to that? Well, first, to contest the results is their right. They can do it. Uh, but the contestation does not mean that they are right and they are correct. Because we also do have results, we've said it before, and we also have other observers that have results. In fact, what Kenya has given us, 38%, is below our own uh, numbers, because we came to about 43% in our own compilation. So it is his right, but we want him to be a, a good loser. You know, you can't be a bad loser and say, let's spoil it because I've lost. Okay, so it's normal, it's a game, there they could only be one winner. In this case, we were the winner. He, he should wait for next time and contest. And if he comes up as a winner, we accept it. Now, what is it that Mr. Felix Chisekedi is prioritizing when he takes office? Okay, President Chisekedi will focus on, uh, on what we call the foundation. We have to rebuild the foundation upon which we're going to build the new home. So that foundation has got three pillars. The first one is to reestablish uh, the peace and the stability in the country, particularly in the eastern part of Congo, but also in the central and then in the remaining part of the country. Because without peace and stability, we cannot attract investment, business cannot happen normally, a lot of things cannot work if there's no peace and stability in the country. So that is number one. Number two 
We need to establish good governance, but absolutely now. That's the priority. By good governance, we mean we have to fight corruption, graft, money laundering, traffic of influence, all those bad things that have prevented Congo from taking over. So that's a priority. And then the third priority of uh, President Tshisekedi will be to re-establish the rule of law and the authority of the state. We currently have a, a state that is virtually collapsed. You know, the people living in the East, they don't feel the power of the central government. They don't feel Kinshasa. So we need to establish the rule of law, establish the authority of the state. So once we achieve in doing that, and that can be achieved very quickly because it doesn't require money. Most of the time it requires action and a different mindset. So we can achieve it quite quickly with a strong leadership of President Shisekedi, and then you will see everything will fall in place thereafter. Then we can tackle the social issue. That is health, education, nutrition, uh, agriculture, all the way up to industry. So that's the plan uh, of President Felix Shisekedi. And is Mr. Shisekedi willing to work with other political parties? Oh, yes, of course. Um, uh, he mentioned it in his address. It's going to be, if the president elects, and he's going to be the president for all Congolese, not just for UDPS, not just for our coalition with uh, uh, His Excellency Vital Kamere, but he's the president of all Congolese. So what he's going to do, is going to do a wide consultation to see who can participate in this government that will essentially be a government of national unity. Because we need unity also as a vehicle to promote reconciliation. With reconciliation, we can do nation building, we can achieve peace and stability. So, yes, he's willing to work with everybody. He's opening up his arms. Those who want to come can come. Those who don't want to come, we respect that, but we're telling them they can also be in opposition because we need to have checks and balances, and if they can provide that aspect uh, through a strong opposition, they are welcome to play the role of opposition. That's the voice of Claude Ebalanki, the spokesperson for DRC's president-elect, Felix Chesegedi, on the line with Ntlandla Matlangu. Meanwhile, celebrations continue in Yeovil and Johannesburg in South Africa following the announcement by the DRC Electoral Commission that opposition leader Felix Chisekedi had won the long-delayed presidential election with almost 39% of the vote. More from Karin Mulamba, a Congolese living in South Africa. We are so happy, man, as you can feel it. As you can feel it throughout the phone, people are more than excited. We are so happy to sing and celebrate this victory. You know, we've been suffering for a good 17 years. The now good what you were always expecting. When we got finished as a president, our feeling is just, you know, that higher feeling of joy, higher feeling of confidence, higher feeling of celebration. So where exactly are you and roughly how many people are there? Yes, we almost, it's more than 100 people in my yard. Uh, everything is uh, only this morning after four. People just decided to come to my residence and they wanted to celebrate. As I'm a UNC representative here in South Africa, so they judge you too to come and celebrate by my residence, my private residence in Johannesburg, in Gauteng. So you're saying that um, people in the DRC have been suffering for the past 17 years, and now with the results being released, having declared Felix Chisikedi as the winner, what is it that you are hoping the incoming uh, president will tackle head on? The incoming president, Felix Chisikedi, will restore the law, the rights in our country, which the previous government couldn't. Because as you can see, we got so many refugees around here, South Africa. The, the people that are talented, the people that are knowledge, the people that are able to do all those things scientifically to all levels. So we're here because we ran away from the situation in the, in the country. People were persecuted for no reason. People are not having enough bread and butter on the table. People couldn't take their kids to school. And we didn't have also proper hospitals for our treatment. Then we ran away from this mediocrity. 
and come back to South Africa. And today, as we are celebrating Felix Tshisekedi as a new president, we're hoping for the best. Felix Tshisekedi will come back with all the rights to the citizens. Will be there and enjoy being a citizen of the Democratic Republic of Congo, and that is our joy, that is our feeling, and that is our excitement. So you saying that you ran away from DR Congo with the new president now? Are you hoping to go back? You are asking actually for the answer. You hear the people they were saying that they are breaking up their papers. I just wish you were here live. You could see people breaking up. Clearing off their refugee papers because they don't want to be a refugee anymore. They are planning actually to go back to Congo because they know with the new government will get exactly what we deserve. So I've got so many people here. I think uh, you can maybe pick one of them. Only break actually tear off this paper. This Uganda, we call it Uganda because they say for them it's useless, it's pointless to stay here in South Africa as long as there is security. Is now a new president in the Republic Democratic of Congo. So we have to go. No one will stay behind. Karine Mulamba is a Congolese living in South Africa, speaking to Ntlantla Matlango. 1716 Central African Time, right here on Africa Digest on Channel Africa. Now, the Independent Electoral Commission of South Africa has announced that the weekend of the 26th and 27th January will mark the end of the voter registration campaign. The IEC launched the 2019 national and provincial elections on Thursday. The organization announced that over 83% of the people had full addresses. Yes, Angela Bolowan. South Africans are expected to go to the polls in May and on Thursday the IEC set the ball rolling when it launched this year's elections. The IEC's Chief Electoral Officer, Saimama Bulo, says its drive to obtain complete addresses of the voters is almost complete and that 83% of the people on the voters' roll have full addresses. Out of the 26 million voters on the roll, there were approximately 8.4 million people for whom we had addresses. As we speak today, that figure stands at 21.5 million, representing 83% of the totality of the voters' roll. It is palpable that we are not at a point we wish to be in respect of addresses on the voters' roll. The issue of addresses was brought before the Constitutional Court and in 2016 the Apex Court directed the IEC to record addresses for all registered voters before the general election. This followed a dispute over by elections in February 2016 where independent candidates successfully challenged the validity of the voters' role because of addresses. However, the court has extended that deadline to November this year, well after election day. This will allow us to collect addresses for voters during the upcoming registration weekend, as well as on election day itself, as well as subsequent to that until the end of November this year. So we are grateful to the Constitutional Court for the clarity and certainty it has provided in respect of the franchise right of voters for whom we do not have an address. Mama Bulo says the political parties have mushroomed. He says there might be over 300 political parties registered with the IEC this year. The Electoral Commission has received 47 applications for registration, bringing the current number of nationally registered parties in South Africa to 285. And the Electoral Commission is still in the process of processing a further 37 applications. Of course, this hopefully does not mean we will see a 200-plus party ballot paper. The IEC has also praised South Africans. It says that while there are still challenges, it's clear that the commitment to democracy remains intact. IEC Chair Glenn Machinini says institutions in the country are strong and vigilant. South Africa remains on track. South Africa remains firmly committed in what it set out to do in 1994, that is the democratic uh, project and the democratic journey. Here today, we'll see that the people of our country once more again will go to the polls uh, for the sixth time to elect representatives for national and provincial legislature, reaffirming their commitment 
into nothing else but the democratic journey. The IEC will conclude its voters registration drive at the end of this month, but this does not stop potential voters from updating their details. Voters can also register, check and update their details online. The report is by Angela Bolowana in Johannesburg. This is Channel Africa, South Africa's official international public radio station on shortwave, internet and satellite. From an African perspective. Guess what? You can now listen to Channel Africa using Silozi, Chinyanja, Kiswahili, Portuguese, French and English, giving you an African perspective. Hi, my name is Tandalunyenzovo and you are listening to Channel Africa. We are Channel Africa from an African perspective. Channel Africa, bringing you the African perspective. It's info at channelafrica.co.za on email. That is info at channelafrica.co.za on email. Now, South Africa's President Cyril Ramaphosa has urged the country's professionals to take up the call of Tumamina. He was speaking last night at an engagement with professionals in Durban ahead of the ANC's manifesto launch on Saturday. The party's loss of support in major metros in 2016's local government elections has been attributed to the disgruntlement of the middle class, many of them professionals with the ruling party and its policies. Busichimombe reports. The ANC is moving to repair its relationship with the country's black middle class. The last decade has seen a rift develop between the two, with policies such as Etols and Gauteng seeing citizens in that province punish the party in the metros of Johannesburg and Zwane, the rising cost of living, and being disparaged as clever blacks also saw some opt to withdraw their support. President Sarah Ramaphosa is now on a charm offensive. We are pleased that you are articulating the views of people on the ground and we are going to be heeding those views, be they issues of employment equity, be they issues of funding for businesses, be they issues of empowerment for young people who should get into business or form businesses. All those issues are issues that are of top of mind for us. And his efforts appeared to fall on fertile ground. The professionals, young and old, packed into Durban City Hall, voicing a number of issues, including high unemployment, institutionalized racism, and a lack of seed capital for entrepreneurs. What programs are in place in order for the youth to be able to find funding, in order for them to empower themselves and move forward as a country? But how much money from the PEC is being invested to where the government employees live? How can we make venture capital available to the entrepreneurs that are coming from the townships? More than 20 years ago, Gwabane Act entered to employment equity. It is said, nothing gets done about it. Responding to many of these concerns, President Ramaphosa reassured the professionals that the ANC is alive to their concerns and would respond positively in its election manifesto to be launched this weekend. However, Ramaphosa also called on the middle class to do its part in improving the lives of fellow South Africans. We've been given some privileged status by our country. We are made by our country. Our country invested so much in us to get us to where we are where we call ourselves professionals as we are seated here. And as professionals, we have a responsibility. And this is where we have to say, we should not ask what our country is going to do for us. We should ask, what are we going to do for our country? 
And that is South African President Cyril Ramaphosa ending that report by Angela Bulowan in Johannesburg. Now, water is one of humanity's most critical issues, but too often it's ignored. Next week, the Stockholm International Water Institute and the United Nations Sustainable Development Solutions Network Academy will launch a unique free course to address the global water crisis. Everyone in the world can take the massive open online course as it will feature both academic lectures and practitioners, lecturers rather, and practitioners. Dr. Teresa Siomander Magnussen, Chief Operations Officer at Stockholm International Water Institute and lead faculty for the course, tells us more. The title of the MOOC is Water Addressing the Global Crisis. And our aim is to both give the theoretical framework to understand the challenges that we see in terms of water scarcity and water crisis across the globe, but it also aims to give concrete examples where we provide expertise and knowledge and experiences of how to overcome and give examples of how to manage water in a more sustainable way. So why choose an online platform to educate and equip people with this knowledge instead of using a different platform? Excellent. So the SDSN network, together with the SDG Academy, provides online free courses for anyone in the world to take the courses to expand their knowledge and expertise in different fields related to SDGs. And we find this as unique opportunity not only to reach out to students across the globe that we would in other ways not be able to reach, but also to give them an opportunity to learn more from some of the key experts globally about water issues free of charge. So how are those who don't have access to internet service going to receive this knowledge? That's a very good question. And you can take the course any day around the year, 24-7, and we are not responsible for the digital platform. So um, my understanding is that you need Internet access to be able to take the online course, but how and when you do it, that's completely flexible. May you give us an idea of how bad the water levels are? The water situation in the world is very serious. Water is something that we're all dependent on for our lives, for our livelihoods. And what we see is that not only do the climate change affect and influence citizens all across the world, but also the seriousness in and the vulnerability increases across the globe with floods and droughts recurring more often and more severe, and also in areas where it used to have plenty of water of good quality, they now experience the opposite. So the situation is very serious and it will probably be uh, deteriorating even further. Why do you think there's such an increment in water scarcity? So one of the biggest challenges is of course population growth but also the lack of treatment of water that has been used. So 80% of the world's affluence is released untreated globally, which means that even though the available freshwater resources for drinking purposes and for our daily health is limited, the deterioration of the quality of water continues for every day. So we need to really address treating water carefully and really make the available treatment facilities more effective in most parts of the world. So here in Africa we have a problem of water. We have a problem that Mm. in rural areas we have days where we don't have access to running water. Why is it that the municipality tends to close the water flow in rural areas yet water wastage is normally higher in the suburbs? That's a very good question and it's very specific to each town and city and country. This is also a sign and further emphasizes the need that the decisions need to be taken on a holistic and integrated approach so that all citizens can 
have enough water for their daily lives and leave no one behind is a core theme of the UN when it comes to water. So we really need to make sure that we come together as private sector, as the government, citizens of the world to make the right decisions. So we need to really make sure that we attract enough finance for the water service delivery of the world. Now for our last question, how can our listeners be part of this online course? So the first course starts next week on the 14th of January and you just log on to the massive open online course on SDG 6. It's open for anyone to take all the nine modules. It's being delivered for 12 weeks including videos and questions and reading suggestions. So you don't need any experience or knowledge about water before you take the course. So I really want to promote this as an opportunity to get more insights from different parts of the world. That's uh, Dr. Therese Siomander Magnuson, Chief Operations Officer of the Stockholm International Water Institute and lead faculty for the course speaking to Nambuiselo Dango. It is time for your news headlines. Yes, Amanda Machaka. Thank you, Spamelele. Good evening. DRC's a powerful Catholic Church says the provisional result of December's presidential election, naming opposition candidate Felix Chisekedi as winner, does not reflect the data its observers collected from polling stations. The Electoral Commission of South Africa says the country is still on track for democracy. And a consignment of rhino horns worth over $1.5 million has been seized at South Africa's Tambo International Airport. Those were news headlines. Hello. To celebrate African women's achievements, self-emancipation, human rights and democracy, listen to Humanity, Women in Unity, an advocacy radio program against all forms of gender-based discrimination and violence against women. Humanity, Women in Unity, on Channel Africa every Thursday at 5 past 10 Central African Time and every Sunday at 5 past 6 Central African Time. Humanity, Women in Unity, with Dr. Amalea Gonez-Malka, every Thursday at 5 past 10 Central African Time and every Sunday morning at 5 past 6 Central African Time. Channel Africa, celebrating African women's achievements, the voice of the African Renaissance, from an African perspective. It is 17.33 Central African Time right here on Africa Digest on Channel Africa as we continue to give you news from an African perspective. My name is Spumelele Zondi with you until 1800 hours Central African Time. Now, South Africa's Department of Agriculture, Forestry and Fisheries and a team of experts from the Department uh, for rather, and the the Limbopo Province of Veterinary Services. He's on the ground conducting further investigations to verify the results and determine the extent of the foot and mouth disease outbreak in the Vembe district. Positive laboratory results for foot and mouth disease, or FMD, in cattle in this district were detected after reports of cattle with lameness were received. The, the positive locations is just outside the FMD control zone in the free zone without vaccinations. To give us an update on this is Kayeng Guanyana, who is the spokesperson at the department. Hello and thank you very much for joining us. Thanks very much. Yeah, All right. Um, now, how bad is the situation? Well, uh, as you have just uh, alluded, our team is on the ground there. Uh, our state vets, uh, scientists, they are actually running a lot of tests now to, to the entirety of uh, cattle in that in that village, 
so that we appreciate the full extent of the uh, damage uh, and the actual numbers as to uh, it comes to what numbers, if it's in thousands, how many thousands, all of that. Uh, but we must say that, uh, you know, the, the, the situation is dire in that area. We have quarantined that area so that there's no movement, either animals going in or going out, so that we can contain those that are already tested positive of this particular uh, outbreak. Uh, our intention is that we, we, we deal it and we deal with it and arrest it there so that it does not uh, perpetuate into neighboring districts like Capricorn and other and, and, and other districts. But uh, yeah, we are confident that uh, it, it really won't spread all over the country. We'll, we'll contain it there as it is. Uh, how certain are you that it hasn't spread already, that there isn't another neighboring village perhaps that already has uh, the disease? Well, we, 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 have, we have tested uh, since the outbreak on, the, on, on Monday when, when we, declare, we declared it officially. We have been uh, uh, working collaboratively with the neighboring district uh, to see exactly if it hasn't traveled to those districts. And uh, uh, clearly it is positive in that area of uh, 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 Venda, uh, Venda district. And precisely because it is also closer to Kruger National Park, so that's where uh, this, this foot and mouth disease comes from because of the animals uh, that are there and their movement. You will know that the Kruger National Park, you know, uh, uh, it, it, it covers a, 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 a larger area including neighboring countries and that's where this disease arises from and uh, we we've been uh, uh, making engagement with uh, the, 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 the management of the Kruger National Park in terms of the biosecurity measures because we could see that uh, there were potentialities of this uh, outbreak coming coming up again because of the, the cross-border movement of animals in that area so this 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 this, this village uh, Sudani village in Venda uh, is it, it, closer uh, to, 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 to the Kruger National Park. So it, it, it logically, uh, it was bound to happen because of this proximity. Mm. Um, and is the meat from uh, these cattle, um, these cows that have been found, um, would it be meat that would end up in supermarkets? Would it be meat that would end up being exported? Well, uh, luckily, uh, th- these are your, your village people who are uh, subsistence farmers. Uh, their their cattles uh, are, are for their own village uh, purposes. If, they, if they, they, they trade, they trade among themselves. It's not your established farmers who, who really slaughter for markets, uh, exporting and, 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 and selling to retail shops. So that is the, the, the good part of it. But uh, as, 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 as we indicated in our statement, unfortunately, the World Organization of Animal Health, uh, upon reporting this matter on Monday, they decided to suspend our, our health status as a country uh, on the basis of those developments, which is significantly affecting us now in terms of the export. We are dealing with many farmers in different provinces, like Free State, Kazakhstan, Pumalanga, Northwest, who are suffering now as a consequence of this because countries uh, have withdrawn placing orders in the country because of this particular status, which is putting a lot of pressure on us to work around the clock because it is contributing negatively uh, to our economy, especially agriculture, is a major contributor to our GDP. And uh, the the red meat is one of the uh, income-generating uh, commodities within agriculture for the country and uh, we think that the effects of this are going to to contribute negatively even to the outcomes of the GDP uh, as the country just came out of the recession in a, in a month or so ago. It is a temporary suspension though, is it not? Yes, it is a temporary suspension. Until such time uh, we declare the country as a foot and mouth disease free then we must go back and make a reapplication uh, to the organization and uh, they must satisfy themselves that uh, we've really wiped it out and they therefore return us back to the, to the status.
So when you start the culling process, um, do you engage the villagers who own those cattle? Do you tell them why you're doing this? Do they understand well, uh, it even? We, 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 we are working together with the, the communities. You know, currently we're doing a lot of vaccination. Uh, there are livestock associations there uh, made by the, the community themselves, the, 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 the head of households. Uh, we, we, there are committees, uh, we're working together with them, traditional leaders, uh, the affected uh, households. So they are quite involved uh, uh, right through. Uh, the discussions now are that in the event where we, 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 we eliminate all of these cackles, we are looking at possibilities of engaging with Treasury because even the issues of compensation may kick in if we decide to, to kill all of them. Uh, because these are heads and heads of cackles. Uh, for households and uh, uh, you can't just uh, do it without them and without them agreeing with with every step of the way that will be doing. All right. And as you are going on with the quarantining, with culling processes, what's the next step? What's supposed to happen now? Well, um, we we are meeting also uh, on Monday. The minister is going to meet with uh, the the Red Meat Association and many other farmers who are in, in livestock farmers uh, within the SA. Uh, we, we 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 must now work together on this, especially because it affects them uh, in different corners where they are because of this. Um, as government, we are taking a lead in this regard, so that uh, uh, step by step we we keep them updated up to a point where we declare it as, uh, as, as, as food and mouth disease free, they must also bear testimony to this so that our status can come back, which would mean that uh, their export business will, will kick in. So those are kind of engagement, but also in perpetuity we are engaging with the community. Our state vets are on the ground there. Uh, so on a daily basis we are also updating the World Organization on Animal Health which is a continuous process. And our imagination is that at least in the next two weeks, we should be in a position where we would have wiped them out and, 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 and able to say the country is foot and mouth disease free. Um, in future, how should villagers ensure that their livestock is well taken care of and um, is not, uh, does not end up with diseases like foot and mouth diseases, which might lead to the ban of South African meat um, in other countries? Yeah, it is a challenge because, you know, you know that in villages uh, you have common crazy grazing lands. They mix heads, uh, heads of cattle, all of those. And sometimes uh, they will move even to... The, 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 one of the challenges is that in, in the border areas, uh, cattle can move across the border. Uh, you know, there, there was an outbreak some years ago. It, uh, it, came, it came about in case at end because... The, the area that, 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 that is uh, the northern part of KZN, there's a border to Mozambique. So cattle, because of our, our fence in the border, it, 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 it's not as preventative as it is. So it's easy for animals to move around. So uh, until such time, we fix all of those issues uh, and also find a way of uh, uh, when we're having this common grazing, grazing, grazing land, uh, on a continuous basis, we vaccinate. We, we, as government, it means that we must, from time to time, release our state veterinarian to come and vaccinate uh, periodically uh, throughout the country so that we prevent rather than uh, 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 react to it uh, coming. Because that, is, that, that is the only way, uh, uh, contrary to your commercial farmers who have all the measures, uh, and uh, from time to time, the animal health uh, is a priority all the time. So this is what we need to do as government, that we increase our capacity in terms of that uh, state vet who will go household to household, village to village, uh, uh, at least twice a year, and, and able to vaccinate the, all the heads of cattle so that we, we don't have this recurring again. All right, and um, meat is safe. I can still go to the local butchery and the local supermarket to buy it. Yes, we it's still safe, uh, and I must say that uh, this this is, 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 is it, it does it doesn't poison a, a human being. It, it has no effect. The moment you 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 cook the meat, 
you know, reach a boiling point. There's nothing to worry about. Uh, there are no consequences to your health as a, as a, as a human being. So uh, there should be no worry at all. And uh, in any event, those that are affected are cows that are, are not circulating in our retail shops. All right, sure. Thank you. Thanks, thank you. All right, it is now time for economic news. Here's Tracy Pumgat. Thank you. Mining giant Glencore has lost its exclusive marketing rights for two of Libya's main crude oil export grades. This is according to Reuters. Glencore held the rights since the end of 2015. It initially won the rights to the oil as it was one of the few traders willing to deal with the risks associated with Libya's unrest, including Islamic State incursions and a crippling port blockade that slashed the country's output. Tunisia's Prime Minister Yusuf Chahed says the country will produce a quarter of its energy output in 2020 through renewable energy projects worth $835 million. Chahed added that Tunisia will produce 1,000 megawatts of renewable energy by 2020. Egypt's annual urban consumer price inflation fell sharply in December as monthly food prices dropped. This has sparked speculation over whether the central bank might start cutting interest rates this year. Inflation fell to 12% from 15.7% in November. Egypt has implemented tough austerity measures to help meet the terms of a $12 billion IMF loan program it signed in late 2016. The program calls for tax increases and deep cuts to energy subsidies. Egypt's central bank last moved rates in March, slashing the overnight deposit and lending rates by 100 basis points each. Annual core inflation, which strips out volatile items like food, increased to 8.3% in December from 7.94% in November. Manufacturing production and sales in South Africa increased by 1.6% in November 2018 compared to November 2017. Analysts say the output fell below market expectations. They blamed the poor performance on a weak global demand caused by fears of a potential trade war between China and the U.S., Statistics South Africa reported that the largest negative contribution came from basic iron and steel, followed by non-ferrous metal products and the machinery division. Economist at Econometrics Laura Campbell says domestic demand for manufactured goods is also weak. And there were several factors which are likely to have contributed towards this decline. Um, We've seen global economic growth um, slackening off, and that's in part due to um, fears of a trade war emerging between the world's superpowers, and therefore the demand for manufactured exports from South Africa is likely to have been negatively affected. Um, From a domestic viewpoint, although we've seen um, economic growth emerge from the recession in the third quarter, economic activity remains quite weak. The outbreak of foot and mouth disease in South Africa's Limpopo province has also affected the wool industry. General Manager for National Wool Growers Association, Leon de Beer, says the outbreak has affected more than 8,000 commercial wool growers and about 40,000 emerging and communal farmers. He says they are negotiating with the international trading partners to be allowed to export wool. Fortunately for wool, we are busy negotiating that wool that is produced in an area where the outbreak has not been evident that wool may be exported. And for wool, we have a gross domestic product value of more than 4 billion rand per annum. It's challenging the livelihoods of 8,000 commercial farmers and 40,000 emerging and communal farmers. The U.S. dollar is trading at 363.02 Nigerian Naira, 10.34 Botswana Pula at 101.15 Kenyan shillings and 11.89 Zambian kwacha. 
In BRICS currencies, one U.S. dollar will cost you 3.72 Brazilian hail, 66.88 Russian ruble, 69.84 Indian rupee, 6.85 Chinese yuan, and a 13.94 to the South African rand. The U.S. dollar is also trading at 78 pence to the British pound and at 87 cents to the euro. In commodities, gold is trading at $1,290 and platinum at $822 per ounce. The price of Brent crude oil is at $61.01 a barrel. For Channel Africa News, I'm Tracy Bumgard. Thank you very much, Tracy. It is 17.50 Central African time. Here's Neto Chemane with your sports news. Thank you, Spumalele, from the sports desk. A very good evening. Starting with football news, Tembi Khatlana got a message from Ivory Coast and Chelsea striking legend Didier Drogba to keep going on to keep going on when he rep- he presented the Banyana Banyana star with the goal of the year prize at the CAF Awards. She said, arriving back in South Africa, the 22-year-old Khatlana, who also won a 2018 Women's Player of the Year, arrived back to a small but enthusiastic reception at OR Tambo International Airport just afternoon to. Day. Her nomination for goal of the year saw her super strike against Nigeria at the Africa Women's Cup of Nations, up against those of men and women's players. It was Khatlana's second nomination for Women's Player of the Year, losing out to this year's fellow nominee from Nigeria, Asisat Oshwala, last year. On to rugby news. Siakolisi says that becoming South Africa's first black test captain definitely had an impact on his game. The media hype surrounding Kolisi's appointment ahead of the 2018 international season was undeniable. And when Kolisi led the box out for the first time against England in Johannesburg in June, it was considered one of the country's most important sporting moments. Kolisi would go on to win seven of his 13 tests as box captain last year with a famous win over the All Blacks in Wellington, the obvious highlight. But speaking to CNN World Rugby, the 27-year-old acknowledged that the hype that came with the captaincy was a lot to take in and that it impacted the way he performed on the field. Since then, though, Golisi has returned to form and the box are looking aside capable of competing for the trophy at this year's Rugby World Cup in Japan. On to cricket news. South Africa have named unkept batsman Rassi van der Dessen in their 14-man squad for the first two contests of the five-match home one-day international series against Pakistan as they explore options ahead of the World Cup later this year. The 29-year-old van der Dessen was the highest scorer in the recent Mzanzi Super League domestic 2020 competition, averaging almost 60 in 12 matches and a strike rate of close to 140. Returning to the squad Asima Dane Patterson and stalwart batsman Hashim Amla, who missed the away series win in Australia in November through injury. Batsman JP Dumini and fast bowler Lungingidi have not been considered because of injury. SABC Sport cricket analyst Tandok Gramani says if Van der Dessen deserves to be named in the squad. Yeah, no, very well deserved, man. Very, very well deserved. And I think we saw glimpses of him in the Mzansi Super League. And, uh, you know, he, he showed as well when he was called up to the protest T20 side, you know, taking the boys over the line a couple of occasions, especially not even uh, on home soil, you know, especially in Australia. The first ODI will be played in Port Elizabeth on January the 19th, with the second in Deben three days later. The 50-over World Cup is being held in England and Wales from May the 30th to July the 14th. The Proteas return back to the cricket pitch for the ongoing Summer of Cricket campaign when they face Pakistan in the third and final test starting on Friday at the Bidvest Wanderer Stadium in Johannesburg. Gamani says fast bowling can be expected from Proteas. Meanwhile, visitors will enjoy good conditions. You can expect a little bit of the same from the first two tests. You know, a whole lot of fast bowling, 
especially from South Africa, you know, for Pakistan, I think their fast bowlers will also, you know, get a bit of a taste of good conditions, you know, that will favor them as well. They will get bounce, you know, they will also get some swing at the Wanderers, especially if there's the rain around, especially like today in Johannesburg. And finally, in tennis news, while the number one Novak Djokovic gave Andy Murray a stinging reality check in the lead-up next week's Australian Open, dominating the Britain 6-1, 4-1 in a practice match at Melbourne Park today, Murray has struggled to regain form since undergoing hip surgery last January and was quickly dismantled by the six-times Australian Open champion at Margaret Court Arena before the players called time on their match after less than one hour. Sebian Djokovic heads into the tournament as favourite to win a record seventh title and his third Grand Slam in a row, while five times runner-up Murray, now ranked 230th, will have far lower expectations at the event starting on Monday. For Channel Africa Sport, I'm Neto and Ito Chemani. This is Africa Digest. It is 17.56 Central African time. Let's recap our top story. UN chief warns against violence over DRC presidential results. South Africa's Electoral Commission says it's ready to host 2019 elections and a court hearing of former Mozambican finance minister postponed. That wraps up Africa Digest for this hour. From myself, Spumele Lezondi producer Ronald Piri, technical producer Dumelo Mukwena, and the rest of the Africa Digest team, thank you very much for joining us. You can send your emails to info at channelafrica.co.za. On SMS, we are on plus two seven eight two three three two five nine zero five. We leave you with Shona Chobate, and the song is called Gambia.
Takulandirani ndi manjawiri kundimei.